0: Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. We've been in this series called What Faith Looks Like. We've been looking at uh, characters from the Old Testament that are highlighted for us in Hebrews chapter 11 as the heroes of the faith. Uh, figures that demonstrate for us what it looks like to have great faith in God. And if you've been following along throughout this series, if you've been here most week, maybe notice that, that Hebrews chapter 11 really kind of hits highlights. Uh, I mean, we've covered kind of some of the big characters over the course of this series. I mean, Hebrews 11 talks about big events like creation, it talks about stories like Noah and the flood it talks about Abraham multiple different ways multiple moments from Abraham's life that culminated last week when we were looking at Genesis 22 the story of Abraham binding his son Isaac being willing to offer him as a sacrifice to God and it stopped uh, and that story demonstrates his great faith his trust in who God is and his purposes I mean for the most part Hebrews 11 really hits the highlights of the Old Testament uh, both in terms of uh, the characters that get mentioned and the events that get highlighted. And that will continue to be the case as we uh, make our way through the rest of this series, but at least for me, I can be honest up front this morning, uh, the verse that's our guide today doesn't necessarily fit that framework perfectly. Our focus is on going to be on Jacob this morning. Uh, who is certainly one of the main characters of the book of Genesis. His influence is felt across uh, the rest of the story of Scripture. But the story that Hebrews 11 uh, picks out to highlight from the life of Jacob is probably one that if it was up to me, I wouldn't run to right away. And to be fair to Hebrews 11, I guess first off, it didn't ask for my opinion, and that's fine. Uh, But but more so, uh, this isn't everything that Hebrews 11 says about the story of Jacob. Uh, The verse before the one we're going to look at this morning speaks of Isaac, the, the son of Abraham, blessing his two sons, Jacob and Esau. But that's a messy story that Hebrews 11 doesn't really unpack all that much. And then verse 21 that we're going to look at this morning jumps to a story from right at the end of Jacob's life. I mean, it's not like there's other material that... It's not like there's no other material that could be used. Hebrews essentially jumps from covering Genesis 27, uh, Genesis chapter 27 in verse 20, covering Genesis chapter 48 in verse 21. And, and in all those chapters in between, Jacob's essentially the main character in the book of Genesis. So there's plenty of stories that could be highlighted. So why is this the story that Hebrews 11 decides needs to be mentioned? Well, let's read this verse, Hebrews eleven twenty-one, 21, and see what it focuses on. It says, By faith, Jacob... When he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his We'll walk through the broader story of Genesis 48 here uh, in a bit, but before we get there, I want to take a little more time to set up the context around this event to try to think through why this story gets mentioned in Hebrews 11. Uh, across the entire book of Genesis, if you've read it, you know that, that Jacob for lack of a better word, is just kind of a punk. That's the technical term. Uh, Some of that's his own making. Some of that is uh, the result of uh, the actions of others. He grows up in a household uh, where his parents play favorites. His mom prefers him. His dad prefers his twin brother. Uh, That dysfunction trickles down into his own family where he ends up marrying multiple wives, he makes it very clear to everyone involved that one wife, Rachel, is his favorite and he prefers her and her two sons over all the rest of his wives and sons. And that leads to strife amongst his, his 12 sons. And that culminates in Genesis chapter 37 where Joseph, his favorite of, out of all of Jacob's sons, is captured and sold into slavery by his brothers. After getting rid of Joseph, his eleven, jo, Jacob's other 11 sons or the rest of um, his his brothers, I sh- the rest of Joseph's brothers, I should say, come back to Jacob and tell him that Joseph's dead. He's gone. We don't know what happened to him. Not a fun story. Probably not a family you'd want to go on vacation with. But a family that God does not give up on. The story continues, and, and Joseph, who will be our focus next week, uh, he ends up becoming the second in command over all the nation of Egypt. But this entire time, Jacob is under the impression that his son Joseph is dead. Over the course of the story, as God continues to work, this family, Jacob's entire family, is reunited and reconciled in Egypt. Jacob gets back the son that he thought was dead. And during that time, uh, while Jacob thought Joseph was dead, Joseph is married and given birth to two sons. And so, as Jacob gets near the end of his life, here in Genesis 48, we're told the process of uh, Jacob formally adopting Joseph's two sons, legally making them his own, so that they might share in the inheritance of the land God had promised to give to the descendants of Abraham. And it's a powerful moment. But still, even in the grand scheme of things, it's it's, kind of minor across the narrative of genesis i mean all of genesis 49 is spent on jacob blessing the rest of his sons too as he passes this covenant god has established on to the next generation so so why is this the story hebrews is focused on i mean there's plenty of other moments in jacob's life that that are more well known that we could highlight i mean we could imagine hebrews 11 saying that it is by faith that jacob trusted that god was continuing the covenant he had established with his grandfather abraham through him we could, we could imagine it saying it was by faith that Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis 32 and, and found God's blessing on the other side. We could say it was by faith that Jacob experienced the provision of God by going to Egypt during a time of famine, and in that he was blessed by being reunited with Joseph. But Hebrews 11 says it is by faith that Jacob blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped while leaning on his staff. So what's so significant about that moment? I don't know if I have a complete answer for you, but I think at least part of the significance of this event is to show us that faith looks forward. This little section of Hebrews 11, verses 20 to 22, focuses on the patriarchs of Israel, blessing the generations to come after them and passing that covenant God has made on. Isaac blesses his two sons, Jacob and Esau, in verse 20. And in, in the verse we'll look at next week, Joseph gets to the end of his life and passes the baton off to the next generation looking forward to when God will lead later generations of his people into the promised land. And so this is the story Hebrews focuses on, at least because faith is meant to be passed on. From the first moment that God called Abraham, that faith that Abraham had was meant to be continued beyond him. If, if this sort of faith is significant enough to us that we would put all our trust in God, center ourselves completely around Him, then it makes sense that it would spill over into passing that on to others that they might know that faith as well. Our faith in Jesus, the, the culmination of, our relationship between, of the relationship between God and His people that stretches all the way back to Genesis 12, is the message of God setting the entire world right. And we as God's people have the invitation, have the opportunity to participate in the work God is doing for ourselves. And just like how Jacob blesses and calls the next generation into the work that God had already begun, we have the opportunity to invite others around us, those in our circle of influence, those entrusted to our care, into what God is doing. And in saying that, I want want to be clear about what I mean, because the train of thought I just laid out could be taken in a direction that I don't think is faithful to uh, this passage or to Scripture as a whole. When we, speak, when we talk about passing on the faith, this text that we're looking at, and this sermon as a whole, is not intended to be a guilt trip. Like we've said throughout this series, this, uh, this text is not about Jacob, it is about God. And therefore, as we think through how we would respond to this text, uh, our response should not be about us. It should be centered in who God is as He works through us, as we walk in faith before Him. Uh, My goal this morning is not for you to walk out of here feeling guilty that you don't speak about Jesus every waking moment of your day, Uh, Maybe at some point this morning there will be a name or a face that comes to mind for you that you uh, feel like you need to to pass the faith you have on to, and I hope that does happen. But my heart behind it, if it does, is not that you'd feel guilty, but that that would be the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because no matter what God might put on your heart, from, from my words this morning or anything else that might happen to you, my hope is that you would come away with a deeper understanding, a deeper appreciation of who God is, the faith we have in him, and the opportunities we have to invite others into that same faith for themselves. That's what's taking place in Genesis 48, as the sons of Joseph are brought in to participate in this covenant with God. I'm only going to read a few verses out of Genesis 48, but I want to summarize the rest of this chapter so we have a sense of what's going on in the verses that we do read. At the beginning of this chapter, Joseph gets word that uh, his father Jacob is sick. And so he goes to be with him. He goes with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob says to Joseph that he's going to adopt these two sons as his own so that they might have the blessings of the covenant, that they might have their own allotment in the promised land when God takes his people back there. And so within uh, the nation of Israel, there are 12 tribes. And so you have, uh, we go down to 11 tribes because the tribe of Levi doesn't get any land in the promised land. But instead of there being a tribe of Joseph, instead Joseph is taken out. So we're down to 10. And then Joseph actually gets two tribes of his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So we're back up to 12. That's your math lesson for the morning. And so uh, Joseph is replaced by his two sons. So technically he receives double the inheritance of his brothers, as if he was the firstborn, even though he, he isn't. And so, uh, that's how everything's laid out. We're told in, in Genesis 48.10 that Jacob, because of his old age, can't see very well. And so, uh, Joseph is kind of doing the arranging to make sure everything happens according to plan as they're doing this, this ceremony. And so uh, Joseph coordinates things. He puts Manasseh, who's the older son, in the position where he can receive the superior blessings, where Jacob will put his right hand on Manasseh. He'll receive the superior blessing as the older. And Ephraim, the younger son, is put in the position where he will receive the inferior blessing since he's the younger one. But Jacob, whose very name means trickster, deceiver, has one more trick up his sleeve, As he goes against the plans of Joseph here in this story. Let me read Genesis 48, verses 13 to 20. It says, And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim, on his right, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left, towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased, so... He took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, uh, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. His father refused and said, "I, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing? May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. So he put Ephraim ahead of Manasseh. Instead of following standard procedure of giving the older son the superior blessing, Jacob gives the greater blessing to the younger son. And we've seen this before. Uh, Jacob's father Isaac was not the the first son that had been born to Abraham, and yet he is the, the son of promise that God chooses Jacob himself was a younger son and essentially stole the blessing of the firstborn from his older brother, and yet God continued to work through him. And now Jacob is giving one of his younger sons, Joseph, an amount of inheritance equivalent to being the firstborn by adopting his two sons. But even within that, he heaps the greater blessing on the younger son instead of the older. And we might just note that as an odd and move on, but I think there. are might be more to it than that. So I want to point just a couple things out. And the first thing I think this passage shows us is that faith is more than family background. Obviously, I'm aware that these two sons of Joseph are already Jacob's grandsons before this story happens, before he's adopted. But, but at the same time, these two sons of Joseph are half Egyptian. We're told the story in Genesis 41 that Joseph's wife is from Egypt. We're told that, in fact, Joseph's father-in-law is a priest leading the people of Egypt in the worship of their sun God. So that means that Joseph's children, Joseph's two sons here, have a mixed identity. They're half Israelite, half Egyptian, which might not be a big deal to us, but could have really mattered in its original context. When it comes time for both Isaac and Jacob to be married in Genesis, great care is taken to make sure that they marry wives who are from the right background so that everything will be above board so that the work of God can continue. And in fact, back in Genesis 28, after Jacob has taken the blessing of the firstborn from his brother Esau, one of the ways his brother Esau rebels against his family is to go and marry a Canaanite woman, to go and marry someone from the other side of the track, so to speak, for the exact purpose of offending his parents, displeasing his family. So these uh, marrying the wrong person, having children with the wrong people can cause all sorts of problems, and yet here... Jacob reaches across the divide to ensure that Ephraim and Manasseh, even though they don't have the entirely right bloodline, are brought into the people of God. And we don't have time this morning to unpack everything that means, but it at least tells us that there is more to this covenant God is establishing than just being born to the right parents. Faith in Jesus means much more than that. And the thing that sets our faith apart from every other religion on the face of the earth is that it is not tied to a specific ethnicity or to a specific geographical area. And we've seen and experienced that as a congregation, even just in the last couple weeks, with the generosity you all have shown to our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And thank you again for doing that. We've seen and experienced that over the years, through the ministries we partner with as a congregation that are doing kingdom work on three different continents, not to mention this one, the reach of the family of God stretches across every conceivable barrier that you come up with. And that's not a recent innovation, it is right here in the book of Genesis. The reach of the kingdom of God knows no bounds. Even within the family of Jacob, God was creating a family that crossed boundaries. A family whose only barrier to entry was trusting in God. And on the flip side of that, if the only barrier of entry is to trust in God, then that means we each must trust in God for ourselves. It's not a matter of skating by on decisions other people have made for us. God calls each of us for ourselves into life with Him into this life of blessing within his covenant, into life as a part of his people. But it begins and ends with the faith that we ourselves put in God. And as we do that, we find a second key point, that God's purposes are bigger than our patterns. Jacob Jacob, breaks social convention in this passage. At least one of the things that happens as he does that is he demonstrates the power and work of God. This is not just Jacob being cute. He is proclaiming the power of God that will continue to work in ways that might seem strange and surprising to our eyes, which is exactly what he has done in the life of Jacob and is what he continues to do up to and including Jesus and on and on into our day. This ceremony and how Jacob subverts it here is not about Jacob or his descendants. It is about God. This blessing is not Jacob granting his descendants something great because he is a great person who has great things to pass on. It is an invitation to be blessed by the same God that has blessed him. And we see that more clearly there in verses 15 and 16. He begins by saying that God is the same God before whom his his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac walked. He's the God who has been his shepherd every day of his life. Jacob, a former shepherd himself says he has spent says that just as he had spent years out in the fields with sheep guiding them caring for them uh, providing for them keeping them from harm in the same way god had been with him through all the ups and downs through all his own imperfections and failures in order that god's purposes might continue god did not let go of abraham of isaac of jacob and he will not let go of jacob's descendants and he will not let go of us But he's not just a shepherd. It also says there in verse 16 that he is an angel, which is maybe a term that we wouldn't expect because an angel in our language is typically, you know, this being that lives in heaven that isn't God and has a halo and a harp and things like that. And so it might seem weird that Jacob would use that term here. So it's worth reminding ourselves that the word being translated there doesn't mean angel in that sense necessarily. It means a messenger, So Jacob isn't equating God with an angel here, but what he's doing is making a statement about how God has worked over the course of his life. Across Genesis, across the Old Testament, really, we see this figure showing up at key points. It gets called the angel of the Lord. And sometimes that figure sounds like someone who has been sent by God. Sometimes that figure sounds like God himself. And the text never really seems all that concerned with clarifying anything beyond that for us. But what we see here is Jacob reflects back over the course of his life. He sees how God has been at work, and he sees how this figure specifically has worked. And he prays that that work would continue into Joseph's sons and beyond. And if God were simply concerned with efficiency, he could have found plenty of people who would have been easier to work with than Jacob. I think part of the reason Jacob says here that God has been his shepherd is because Jacob would not have made it very far if God was not attending to him that closely. Jacob, across the book of Genesis, is consistently a swindler and a cheat, and yet God is patient. He continues to work. And now, even though the way that that work will be continued with Joseph's sons might not look like standard practice, he prays that God will continue to work in the same way. And he continues to work in that way even today. So all this brings us back to that verse in Hebrews 11. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Jacob blesses Joseph's sons and he worships. That's what we see going on in Genesis 48, and I just want to give a couple brief thoughts on on the why of of, of this passage and the what, why Jacob blesses and what he blesses for. So first, why does Jacob bless the sons of Joseph? We might not have a complete answer to that question, but I think we at least see that Jacob blesses the next generation because of what he has experienced of God. The purposes of God extend far beyond Jacob, and as he nears the end of his life, this passage calls the next generation to take up that mantle of faith being passed on to them. There's a call for each generation to take up that same mantle, to step into the calling of God for themselves so that they might experience the blessing of a life of faith. And God invites us to play a part, to invite those around us, to invite the next generation to step into the life God has for them the most important thing that we can do with our lives is to instill in those that God has entrusted to us a faith in the God that can be trusted. A few years ago, I was having a conversation with a friend, and they were sort of lamenting the fact that uh, since they had had kids, they weren't able to be as active in ministry. They weren't able to do as much as they could do before uh, they, they had had kids. And I my thought, my reminder to them in that moment, I think it applies here as well, is that, is that the most important ministry that they in that situation had in front of them was to teach their own kids to love the Lord. That's what we are called to do as God's people. Whether it's uh, kids that are our own or those younger than us in the faith within the church family, because we have a faith that looks forward, we are a people who look forward to the next generation who invite those who will come after us to come and know the God that we have come to know. So if that's the why of this passage, then the what is that the next generation would experience the same thing. Jacob worships God, confident that God's purposes will continue, even if he does not see it all come to completion in his own lifetime. The work of God extended far beyond Jacob. It extends far beyond each and every one of us as well. And that truth should not call us to to shrink back or to give up because it's just too much and no one person can do it all. It should remind us that God is over it all. And he invites us in to play a part as we participate in his purposes for the world. God invites us into faith. A life that is more grand than any life we might experience anywhere else because it is life with God Himself. And that life of faith looks forward towards those who have yet to experience that life with God in full, towards those who will come after us and build on the foundation we leave for them. A life of faith always invites us to take that broader perspective, to see what God is doing and what God has in store as we look forward to what He is doing in us and might do through us as we invite others into that same faith. So that leaves us with the question of how we can live a life of faith that looks forward. Maybe there's someone you feel God wants to use you to draw near to Him. And if that's where you're at this morning, my, my ask of you is that you would seek God's heart first. That you would Ask for wisdom, ask for opportunities, ask for courage to step into where he is leading. Maybe you've put in years trying to lead those around you into a deeper faith in God and you're not seeing it pay off right now. And if that's where you're at this morning, don't give up. Because the long view of faith calls us to trust in God and be faithful in the present as he is at work. Or maybe you're the person that needs to take that next step of faith this morning. And if that is you, do not leave this building this morning without having a conversation. Don't hesitate. That's what we're out at the Welcome Center, what we're out at the door for as as you're filing out. So we can help you walk with you through whatever those next steps God has for you might be. Wherever you are this morning, may we be people who take God's perspective of looking forward into the life He has for us so that we and the world around us might know the God who invites us into life with Him. I want to close this morning with a prayer I came across this week. And it was written by someone else. It's not original to me, but I think it's an appropriate place to end if you will join me. Oh God, You know our frame. You are mindful of our fragility. We are but dust. Forgive us for living as if all that is around us had permanence. So soon all of it and we will be gone. And yet you remain. Your mercy everlasting is our hope and the rock to which we cling. Thank you for the promises of your word to us and even more for your love that swept us up out of the mire and wiped us clean with your blood. We are yours. And we claim the promise that as we live our lives in reverence of you, in obedience, that you will do good, that you will be good to our children and their children and children after them. May our legacy be one grounded in your timeless salvation and righteousness. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.